I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Doreen Gary Nelson, and we are talking about her awesome book, Cultivating Curiosity, Teaching and Learning Reimagined. What an inspiring book. Lots to learn. Thanks for listening. By the way, it would be so awesome if you uh, talked to your friends, your colleagues, your family members and said, hey, have you listened to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 lately? Huh? Well, you should. And uh, show them how to get there and uh, share your favorite episode and uh, make them a listener. How about it, huh? That would be so awesome. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for being a listener and enjoy the show. The intro and outro were created and performed by Brian K. Buffington. You can find more about Brian at briankbuffington.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Thanks, Brian. Cool, huh? It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Stimuletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dot Stimoletto. Doreen Gary Nelson is Professor Emeriti of California State Polytechnic University, Pomona, School of Education and Integrative Studies. Adjunct Professor in the Cal Poly College of Environmental Design, was Professor at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California from 2002 to present, and in 2019 was named Founding Director of the Design-Based Learning Project by the UCLA School of Education and Information Studies, Center X. An award-winning 50-year veteran educator and published author in the field of education, Nelson began developing her design-based learning methodology, uh, formerly called City Building Education, in the late 1960s to ignite creativity, promote high-level transfer of learning, and foster cross-curricular critical thinking skills among K-12 students using the spatial domain. She was named one of the 30 top American innovators in education by the New York Times in 1991 and is the recipient of both the American Institute of Architecture's prestigious Lifetime Honorary Membership, the highest honor for a non-architect, and the California State University's statewide 2006 Wang Award for Excellence in Education. Today we'll be focused on her book, Cultivating Curiosity, Teaching and Learning Reimagined. Doreen, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone, and Stephen, so happy to be with you. Uh, Doreen, let's start with, by talking a little about you, and it's great having you here, and, uh, and I've read your book, and it's awesome, and I really, and by the way, it's made out of some really cool paper. It's like, it's got, uh, I've been showing it to all kinds of people. They're like, this is neat. So, um, but uh, let's start by talking a little about you. In your bio, I read that in 2019, you were named founding director of the Design-Based Learning Project by the UCLA School of Education and Information Studies, Center X. Could you tell us what this is? Center X is one of the most prestigious um, teacher training institutions in the United States. Um, And to be invited there is a a great honor for me Um, to be part of it. uh, There's now an endowed uh, position, an endowed directorship in my name at UCLA Center X. They do uh, teacher training. Center X does teacher training in 
uh, math and science and and, um, uh, social and emotional training, the the whole ball of wax. They have uh, probably 20, 30 different uh, offerings, and and we are um, the only one of of all their offerings that that is not a subject uh, matter. We're a methodology, which is different, And, and now are working with the subject matter um, uh, directors to weave the methodology uh, as a way to deliver their subject matter. Um, Subject matter is really important, but as you know, how you deliver it is even more important. (laughs) Very much so. Yes. (laughs) So Doreen, what what we're going to do is let's, let's start taking a look at, uh, at, uh, your book, it's called Cultivating Curiosity, Teaching and Learning Reimagined. And uh, um, could you kind of tell us a little bit about why you wrote it? I'd been teaching and working for a long time, developing uh, my methodology. Uh, I started back in the 60s. And um, uh, I've been started out when I had to beg teachers to, to think, even think the way I, I was trying to think. Um, And I wrote this book, I guess, for myself as a young teacher. Uh, When I started writing, I had such a hard time. I'm not an easy writer. Some people are. Um, I had to, you know, pump myself up to to think about who is this book for. And I I had to think about myself as a a young teacher. But I also, um, at Cal Poly Pomona, for 25 years, I, I was able to have a master's degree program in my methodology at the university. And during those 25 years, I met and trained a lot of K-12 teachers and uh, in the methodology. And there was one teacher in particular that I stood out as I was writing the book because I, she represented many teachers. She, she was a high school English teacher. She had... Um, just started teaching, and after um, one year, she hated it. And she was about to drop out because, and that's what's going on right now, Steve. I mean, a lot of a lot of teachers are, are having exactly Stephanie's problem, which is it's just too darn hard. And I imagined her because she came into the to study with me, and she's still teaching. I think she just became a, a, a principal of the school, an assistant principal. And it's, it's to, to imagine her as a young teacher and imagine myself as a young teacher and to write a book uh, to encourage young teachers is what John Dewey did for me. It's what someone named Herb Cole, did you ever know him? He was, he was a wonderful educator who... Um, who wrote a book called 36 Children, which was all about his, his experience in, in, um, in teaching. Gotcha. And those books, for me, were so inspirational as a young teacher, and I wanted to impart some of my joy of, of teaching and learning and the intellectual part of, of our profession, because there is a, a, a serious intellectual part, and that's what I, I like so much about you, Steve that you, you, you are really interested in that intellectual uh, underpinnings of, of why the hell you're a teacher in the first place or why you're an administrator in the first place. You know, what are you doing, doing this job? And I wrote this book to try to inspire uh, teachers, administrators, 
anybody who wants to read it, my next one, my next book I'll write for parents. Um, um, because I think, you know, you, you, you know that if you start a movement of, of thinking and you're, you're, you're on the cusp of something that that's new that you're presenting to the world, it can go away very fast. So the fact that I was able to sustain this work for me uh, today is a miracle. (laughs) I'm very grateful to all of these teachers and these school districts who have embraced the work because um, we're in, we're in one school district in, in, in California, San Gabriel Unified School District, where the entire, the design-based learning, my methodology is written into their mission statement, which, which is wonderful. And all the teachers in that district have training in, in this methodology. Uh, That would be my hope. It's not that everyone is going to do it exactly my way. And it's not, I hope to God that that doesn't happen. I want, I want the creativity of teachers. I think teachers are, are under, um, are undermined. They're not, they're not given the, the, um, really the applause and the, 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 the stage for, for, they're not allowed to think for themselves, everything's too too prescribed. Uh, they go from one training to another. They, you know, they the the school districts jerk them around. They they run around from one training to another, um, and having a methodology allows them. I call those polka dot trainings because you, you, it's hard to put them all together. You know, one one week you're doing social and emotional learning and the next week you're doing math or what, depending on what grade level you're in. And I work with K-12 teachers and it's always subject matter versus the delivery system. If you have a methodology that feels comfortable to you, you can deliver anything through it. And now John Dewey had done that for, for our American education system. In the late 1800s, he had provided the United States with an educational philosophy and a methodology that allowed our country to thrive. That included uh, thinking about the child, the curriculum, the society, the relationship between the curriculum and the society, and he was my my hero because he he really um, uh, presented something that lasted for so many years, and it did. His work almost a hundred year for almost a hundred years. John Dewey's methodology permeated uh, our country and and helped helped us thrive because it had a lot of um, focus on democratic thinking. Uh, in 1957, when Sputnik went up, we threw John Dewey out the out the window, and we began just focusing on subject matter, subject matter, subject matter, and we know where we are right now. We've got kids that are that are committing suicide. We've got teachers that want to commit suicide. Uh, the, the, we have teachers that don't want to be in the profession. It's a mess, and and it it, it I I don't uh, claim to be the know it all that that's going to fix it all. But uh, for God's sakes, we've got to uh, remember that teachers matter. They go into this profession. It's a hell of a hard job. And, and they should be given some wiggle room about how to deliver stuff. They should not have to have the kids read page seven and answer the questions on page eight. We all know that doesn't work. 
Oh, you're so right. The uh, you know one of the th- one of the big problems and complaints that have chased a lot of teachers away is being responsible for like solving poverty, being responsible for solving you know, all the academic turmoil that some of these families have gone through, and and it's it so those expectat unrealistic expectations have kind of driven off a lot of them, which is amazing. The main job of a teacher is to ignite. Um, and cultivate curiosity so that kids want to learn. They know why they're learning. They're excited about coming to this place called school. It's not a chore that they can interact with their peers, that they can find commonalities of things that they like to do together and reasons for being together besides, you know, uh, trashing each other on, on social media. A school really has to dominate the scene that is really horrific right now, and has and 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 we have to re-engage. You know, kids are always saying, "Why do I have to learn this, teacher? Why do I have to learn this?" Well, my methodology was conceived, and I talk about that in the first chapter of the book. It was conceived to really try to answer that question. Uh, I was working with kids in, in my first class in Venice, California, and it was a very mixed bag in the 60s. It was the late 60s, and we had you know a lot going on politically in our country. And um, uh, these, the, we were somewhat in a similar position. The kids weren't interested in coming to school. They weren't interested in learning. Um, the teachers were uh, complaining about this, that, and the other. And uh, I had done a lot of research for my master's degree in uh, transfer of learning because that, that's kind of my, my, my big research area. Um, and trans, it turns out that, that, that if you can learn something someplace that is general and that sticks to you, it, you can reuse it a million times in a million different ways. And the way I conceived of getting it to stick to the kids was to have them design their own original things. And I did it by having them build a, a little city in, in, in their classroom, a city of the future. And that's prevailed in my methodology because it's, it's turned out that everybody knows something about the city or thinks they do. And there are misconceptions and there are, are things we've all said, oh God, why don't they do this in the city? Or why don't we have a this? And you, 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 you give that power to a to the student, and they just bloom because they're 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 invited to come in and and think about their future to design what what it's going to be when I grow up. And uh, I had a, a kid in one of the early classes that said, "We built a city in my classroom. We all had parts of the city, and we all had to make it all work together. It was so hard. We had a government, and it was so hard, and we worked together." And it was so hard. I'm not sure I want to grow up. The kids said it's too hard. <laughs> Grownups have a hard job, but that's a, a wonderful for me. That that's our job is to show kids uh, a window on on their future to to give them um, a, a, a preparation. That's what education is. It's preparation. For, for the future. That's what John Dewey thought it was. That's what I think it is. And I'm sure it's what you think it is too. And it's what parents want for their kids. Parents just sometimes don't know what what the future is or, or 
how to get there. And they're, they went to school where everybody sat in straight rows and they read page, you know, seven and answered the questions on page eight and they figured that was good enough for them. So why, you know, let's, let's do it for, for my kid. But it's our job as educators to edu- to help parents see that there's more to it, that, that we can, the parents that we have waiting lists of, of parents um, coming into our program in Walnut Valley uh, Unified School District there's a, a wing, they built a design-based learning wing of the middle school just for our, this methodology because the waiting list was so long. There were 150 parents on, on a waiting list for the wow. school. So they had to just, you know, they finally built a building for us. Um, that's the kind of thing that, that is slow to grow. It doesn't happen every day. Uh, I, I can only tell you two or three of those stories. But we need more of that, and and uh, your podcast and getting this information out to people is, is very very important. Um, in in my book, I tried to as much as I could to tell stories about these teachers that I've worked with through the years, and and to to elevate the role of the teacher to something other than just um, you know. Textbook. It's so powerful. What if allowed to be able to do what they do best, working with kids? Um, it's it just um, can be such a, a thrill to work and to and to, to to have something to do and helping a kid uh, figure out what that pathway is going to be. And you know, one of the things that uh, and just as a note in your book, you have these great examples of all different levels and you have some great color pictures which i thought that was cool too you got color pictures in there and so you get to see the detail of what they're working on and things like that which i loved and and uh, if, if we could for a minute let's let's kind of shift into the book and and in chapter one of your book cultivating curiosity teaching and learning reimagine uh, chapter one is titled shaping the methodology and you begin to explain the development of the Doreen Nelson method of design-based learning with its six and a half steps of backwards thinking. Uh, you know, when one of the, the one of the titles here is 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 uh, not arts and crafts, <laughs> which I love, by the way. And uh, and I said, and you note this wasn't an arts and crafts project; it was the design-based learning backwards thinking process. So, could you explain what design-based learning backwards thinking is? Yes, I will. Uh, first of all, um, thank you for reading the book so carefully and your thoughtful comments. I, I, the methodology, call, which I call backwards thinking, really originates from something all of us know. Haven't we all tried to talk a kid into doing something? <laughs> haven't we? Haven't many of us had an experience of trying to feed a baby. You're trying to feed a baby and, and or, or your kid, and instead of saying, you know, eat this and you're going to stand there, you say, here comes the airplane, right? That's backwards thinking. You, you, you do it, you trick them. <laughs> you do something that's not expected that grabs the learner. And my methodology, the six and a half step thing is... Um, is interesting for me because I never wanted to um, to make this thing a rigid thing, 
a you know rigid six and a half step thing. The teachers I worked with over the years said, Doreen, you've got to you've, you've got to do this. In fact, that six and a half step chart was designed by a middle school teacher, not by me. Um, and but it, it does give you the idea that you 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 start with what do I want to teach? You know, what do I want to teach? What's the what's the overarching big idea of what I want to teach? What what am I thinking of that I need to teach? And then how do I go about um, coming to a presentation of that? That and um, one tool that that I borrowed from the design professions, which is extremely useful and it works for teachers in all subject matters, is called a I call it a criteria list. Now, when when a client goes to a designer and says, I'm going, you know, I'd like to hire you to design my whatever it is, there, whether it's written or spoken, the client usually comes with uh, what, I, what I don't want. I, I don't want, you know, white windows or I don't want, um, I don't want whatever it is I don't want. <laughs> and there's usually a list, you know, I don't want small rooms. I don't want whatever, whatever the, the client is telling but then there's this other list, which is, what do I need? What do I really need? You may not want small rooms, but you may need five bedrooms, and the lot may be too small. <laughs> so if there, there's always this back and forth between the don't wants, the what, do, what don't I want and what do I really need? And that's, there's that trade-off, that negotiation with self <laughs> between what, what I can handle. In, in the six-and-a-half-step process, the don't wants is is a place where, where the, the learner can err if they're building a city. All the things I don't want in a city, if they're building a um, a biome, all the things I don't want in this in this in, uh, ecological environment. If they're building a uh, if they're making a business, all the things I don't want to have happen. But then on the other side of the bed, on the other side of the the coin, there's this list of what you need. And that comes from the curriculum. Because if you're, if you're building a, say, you're building a city, you may want, and you're a math teacher, you're going to put in scale. <laughs> you're, you, you're, if you're a science teacher, you might put in a lot of stuff about um, ecological things and uh, I, things that you need to have the self-sustaining city. It, it, these would become, they would come from the teacher's own curriculum. So when people say to me, do I really need to, to build a city? And you read that in my book, the answer, of course, is yes, because you as the teacher tailor this city to your curriculum and you do it using the, the uh, criteria list. Armed with that list, normally, in, in design professions, you would start designing the, you'd, you'd go to the library and start to do some research on these topics so that if you were um, uh, a science teacher, you would go and find out all about the ecological uh, constraints and, uh, of, of building and so on and so forth. But I start backwards because I'm doing the dirty, dirty trick. So the dirty trick is and it's not so dirty. It, 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 it engages the students. It gets them right away into themselves and, and into self-expression, which is what this whole thing is about. If you can express yourself by designing what you think before you have to go to the library, you know a lot of things. 
perhaps. Maybe you don't know a lot of things, but at least get them out on the table and get them, you know, presented to the other people in the room, to your to your peers, and start talking about it. And it grabs every every learner. Even uh, we've had autistic. Uh, I've had um, uh, um, I had a, a teacher in my master's program who dealt, dealt with autistic kids, <clears throat> and even those kids uh, were really enchanted by the idea of building this thing. So. Teachers, some administrators have been, you know, the ones that walk backwards. The teachers, the teachers used in the early days when I started, the teachers used to have to pretend they weren't doing it when the administrators came came on board. And you know that story. You're smiling, but um, but the um, excuse me the the whole idea of backwards thinking. When you have a methodology, it doesn't matter if you build the city over and over again. You build it in kindergarten, you can build it in high school. The high school chemistry teacher is doing it to, to study the periodic table and find out what the elements are. The kindergarten teacher is doing it to have the kids, you know, find out what are the jobs in the city. There's a different, there's a different entry point, no matter who you are. That's so awesome. It's, it's, I love it. And, you know, and I appreciate you explaining this because obviously this is, you know, the, the big uh, uh, focus of the book um, anyway. And, you know, and, and um, so good stuff. I mean, what, what I want to do is uh, let's take a look at another chapter for a minute. In the beginning of chapter two, you state, what I had to figure out first, however, was key. How to teach students to access the higher level thinking associated with creative, uh, creative and critical thinking so that they would achieve non-specific transfer of learning. I have two questions here. And the first one is, and I really had, kind of have three. <laughs> so I, I, I crammed two together and then the third one by itself. But can you explain what the higher level thinking associated with creative and critical thinking is and looks like? And why is well, it important? Remember, I think we all remember Benjamin Bloom and Bloom's taxonomy. Bloom, yes. Benjamin Bloom was at the University of Chicago. I had the great pleasure to meet him for one hour in my lifetime. And he, uh, when I met him, I asked, I don't know why, I was very young at the time, and I asked him a question that was very cheeky. I said, why did you, why did you develop the taxonomy? And he said, because educators are at low level thinking they they they're doing um repetition and and they need to be doing high level thinking and i wanted to and he used the word embarrass them into um paying attention to these higher level thinking skills these higher level thinking skills are the more open-ended skills they're the more thought-provoking skills. They're the skills that may, uh, when you think, when you have higher-level thinking skills, you wonder about things. <laughs> you want to know about things. You wonder how this is something over here is like something over there, which is transfer of learning. And, and I got interested in it because these higher-level thinking skills, if, if you teach to higher-level thinking, you are really in the realm of transfer of learning because you can't say, how do I compare what I designed to what, say, a great Michelangelo designed, <laughs> you know, or Picasso 
true. How how does how does mine compare to that? The minute the minute you ask yourself a question like that, you are thinking about everything that Michelangelo might have done, and all of Picasso's decisions in in his lifetime. So, I that's why I turned I turned Bloom's taxonomy, which goes from low level to high level, I turned it around and I started with the high level thinking, which is design. Design is the highest, design and and creative thinking are the highest level. And I thought to myself as, as this young teacher in the 60s, if it's so darn important, let's start with it and let's not wait to get there because if you start with the low level thinking, you get bogged down and you sometimes never get to the high level thinking that you mean to get to. So let's use the high level thinking as the entry point, turn it around and then, and then uh, reach back into the lower level areas of finding information to support the high level thinking and building the city. Actually, it's only one way that I know I'm sure there, there might be a hundred other ways, but, it's what I've devoted my life to is, is being able to talk about this high-level thinking so that information can be used and reused. Uh, transfer of learning as a topic, it's, 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 it was very interesting to me um, when I was doing my research on the 60s, there was very little information on it. They, they talked about two kinds of transfer of learning, low-level transfer. You could drive a car, you could drive a truck, you could, you know, this that simple kind of transfer. But then there was this other thing that, that was described as high-level transfer, where you could, um, you could do something... Um, in, in, in one area and then use it in another area. You could learn how to brush your teeth and then you could learn how to polish your car. That, that, that there would be elements of things that you learned that were transferable, not to the same task. And um, I think that's the most important part of teaching and learning. And, and when I read Jerome Bruner's book, um, and I fortunately, Jerry Bruner wrote the introduction to my book, as you you saw the the um, that little piece that he wrote in the front, and that was just before he died, at age a hundred, um, wow. he became he became a friend and he became a mentor to me, and he um, he really bothered me as a as a young teacher, and I told him that that's that's why we became friends. I said in your book, the process of education, you 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 talked about this kind of thinking as being the most important thing, but you said it was too hard and that's, and I was mad at you. So I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to show him. <laughs> and, uh, he, it, 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 it's true that, that if, if you, you have to really focus on what, you, you know, what, what you want to do with it. You can't just, you can't be, um, you have to be deliberate. If you want, if you want high level transfer of learning, you have to ask what, what, what what uh, I did a research project with Apple Computer um, for a number of years, where we were working in the schools as a research, as a researcher, and we found that if you want transfer of learning, you have to ask for it. You can't, and then the way you ask for it really matters. Like most most of us usually say, "Look, um, you're writing a poem about uh, about." Da, da, da. 
tell how it's like the moon or tell how it's like a glass of water. That's not asking for it. That's telling, uh, telling it. We found out that if you want transfer of learning, you have to say to the learner, how is this like that? How is this like that? How is what you did over here like that? You have to, you have to, get, you have to get inside the learner's brain. And that's pretty simple to do. Um, it takes uh, the teacher a little bit of time to learn that because we're so used to as teachers saying, look, this is just like that. <laughs> but we found out that if you say this is just like that, the teacher's doing the learning, not the kid. Gotcha. So if we, if we say, how is this like that? <clears throat> we're opening up, we're opening the door for the learner. Very cool. Yeah. They would, uh, I would think that, uh, they come to the, um, they help develop their own ideas about what it is that they're doing. And they have to, they have, you're right. And they have to understand that information is not disposable. It can be used over and over. And when they see that, they get very excited. And we have just amazing testimonials and test scores. Um, Stephen, you would be, um, uh, very happy to know that we've collected so much data. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have the the research data at our fingertips. Uh, their test scores, the kids do better on the standard tests. They do their speaking skills are better. Their their collaboration is better. The teachers have fewer um, uh, discipline problems in the classroom. Uh, collaboration takes place naturally. They, they're, they're not um, antagonistic. They become a family. They become a community. They're building the city. They have to build it, and they become the mayor, and they become parts of it. And even during COVID, which was, I never expected this, um, and I wrote about it in the book, the, uh, there was, the teachers began experimenting with how, what do you do with those breakout rooms? Because when, when students went into the breakout rooms, they turned off their screen. The teacher didn't know what the heck was going on in the room. And, and um, it was a very uh, unhappy situation. The, the design-based learning teachers had a mayor and they had city council districts. When they went into breakout rooms, they weren't just going into breakout rooms. They were going into the city council district meeting to decide what kind of energy they wanted for their city of the future. They were coming, they were making a decision for themselves and their own creative thinking, and they didn't turn off the cameras. <laughs> and they wanted to report back to the whole, to the whole city. And they had, when they had a town meeting, they brought everything they did in their breakout rooms back to the town meeting. So. Um, I, I am now in sort of semi in love with um, uh, Zoom and the and the, the breakout rooms. If if it has to happen, uh, there there is um, something to say for it. I never thought I'd live to see, hear myself say that, but here you do. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, and it's you're so right. I mean, there's there's so many places. And considering I started with Skype a long time ago, and and then changed it because uh, there are people who recommended some of these other um, items and pizza, uh, pizza, all right, um, these other items and stuff. And they, uh, and it's just interesting how, 
I got to talk, because uh, I got all this stuff going through my head. One of the things that I wanted to mention to you was that what was so cool was seeing those pictures of what the kids were building in the classrooms when you talked about the cities and and then your descriptions of the different ways that they handled it. And and I just thought that uh, um, that was, uh, it, it was just neat. I'm glad you shared that because it's one thing to read a description of it, but it's another to see how different it looked um, when it uh, um, in, in the results of what uh, whatever that group did, whatever that whoever that group was working, whatever age they were, and you can imagine for for a young learner of any age, if they design say an energy system for their city and then they present it to the whole group and they get criticized for it, they're not going to fall apart because because they're going to defend them you know, why they did it. And then the, the teacher becomes the guide, well, let's do some more research and find out more about this kind of energy. Uh, I was with this one little kid who was telling me about, he was a fourth grader, he was telling me about geothermal energy. And I'm thinking, oh, what just happened here? Um, the teacher, he had designed this kind of energy that looked like geothermal energy, but it, he didn't have the word for it. And the teacher was able to guide him to the textbook to look at it. And then he proudly said, I want geothermal energy for my city. <laughs> you know, Excellent. So it's just, uh, it's that kind of thing, um, Stephen, that keeps me going and it probably keeps you going too. <laughs> oh, most, most definitely. I mean, it's, it... if, if you can connect, uh, 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 my methodology is based on connecting uh, how you do it the physicality of, of learning, building things, making things to the intellectual part in an interdisciplinary way. And um, my methodology is a structure for delivering any subject, any content from English to chemistry to anything you need to do. Uh, and it uh, has succeeded for a lot of teachers and I hope we will have more. I'm sure you will. It's awesome. Uh, you know, one of the, th the things I want to, uh, uh, as, as going in a little bit more specific, I mean, in, and you, you talked a little bit about some of this earlier, uh, but kind of go back to it. In the beginning of chapter two, you state, what I had to figure out first, however, was key, how to teach students to access the higher level thinking associated with creative and critical thinking so they could, they would achieve non-specific transfer of learning. And, so this is where, you know, I wanted to make sure that I brought us back to this because, um, you know, we talked about, can you explain what the higher level of thinking is? And we did that. Well, can you also explain what the nonspecific transfer of learning is? As I mentioned earlier, there's specific transfer of learning, which is if you can drive a car, you can drive a, a, a truck. Non-specific transfer of learning is the kind of learning that generalizes. It's where you can think about um, a being where you're taught to think about how, let me see if I can give you an example. Uh, we were doing a research project with, in music uh, at the open school. And the students had, um, were looking at sounds and how to organize sound to make 
instead of just making songs they were they were looking at how you 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 look at sound to make to organize a piece and they were looking at all the elements of music how you can make sound you can make the rhythm faster you can make it slower you can make it higher you can make it lower you can do more of the same thing if you you know or you can just da 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 you know you we were teaching them all the I was working with a, a, a composer, and um, the, the transfer of learning that took place was when the kids realized that that they wanted a sound to be bigger, you know, and instead of us telling them, oh, you can make it bigger because you can make more of it, or you can make it, how else can you make it bigger? And we were sitting in a room where there were Venetian blinds on the window, and the composer and I were just knocked out when the kids jumped up. They had, uh, one of the kids had like the sound of, of pages in a book going, you know, when you, when you, um, he want, he liked that sound. He, he wanted that kind of sound in his piece of music and how we we're talking about how you make it bigger and five kids who had all been the book and all had wanted them to be bigger got up and went over to the venetian blinds and played the venetian blinds louder because if you if you run your finger up the venetian blinds it's much louder than it is in the book that's high level transfer of learning we didn't tell them to do that they figured that out because they high level transfer of learning is when the learner figures out that what a what they want to do and b where they can find the answer to it. <laughs> Does that, is that... Uh, oh, most definitely. It makes perfect sense. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, there are other examples, I think maybe better examples in, in my book. I, I can't, my, right now my brain is a little fried, but um, uh, I think that if you think of high level, high level transfer of learning, it's really the stuff that, allows you to use it and reuse it and reuse it. And for example, you, you do these podcasts and you have a, uh, a standard kind of um, uh, procedure that you want to talk to your people about, but you don't want to use that same procedure all the time because it would be boring for you and it would be boring. And, and besides, it wouldn't meet the needs of the, of the person you were talking to. So your high level thinking is, how do I take what I have and make it be different? And how do I make that's high level thinking, right? Gotcha. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. That's cool. Cause it's uh, yes, you have to think um, how it's, uh, you know, what questions do you have about how it's going to best serve or, or address the what's going on or, or work within the environment, which you've created or something like this. And i like, I like that. But, but even so, you need the outline because you need, when, in order to get high-level transfer of learning, you have to have something that, that holds you down that you can go to. And the city, for me, works like your outline. The city is there, and then you can go into these higher areas. You can think about energy. If, if, if that's the subject matter you want to talk about, it's almost like energy would be your guest that week. And then you're building this, the city would be like your outline. And then your, 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 your next week, you would maybe talk about movement, ways to move around the city, how you would get around in the city. Yeah. Then the next week you might, what, 
talk about shelter, about how do people want to live? What kind of shelters do they want to live in? What do they want? What do they want their life to be? Another week, you might talk about um, how people, what they do for recreation and physical health. So, but you still have the outline. You still have this thing called the city, which is like just like your outline for the program. And then the higher level thinking happens when you take all these different points of view on a single idea. I like that. I like that. That's very good. One of the things that I want to make sure that we uh, um, talk about is that when we got into this, you know, we started by talking about design-based learning programs and then that there is yours, the the Doreen Nelson method of design-based learning. What makes it, what makes yours different? I'm so glad you asked. Well, there's also project-based learning, and, and which, thro- which which gets thrown into the mix here. And I'm always asked, you know, uh, because project-based learning right now is a very big topic, and I, I don't want to poo-poo any of these because they're all great. There's a, the difference. Uh, in, in, just, in my methodology, you start with creative thinking. You, you, you're not replicating things. You're not making a bridge. You're not making... Um, a house, and you, you, you may have noticed in reading my book that I talk a lot about what you call things when you ask students to be original really matters. If you ask them to design a house, you know what you're going to get. If you ask them to design a shelter, you'll get something different. And I'm interested, and my work has been predicated on opening that door, opening the vocabulary. My methodology is different from other design-based learning programs in that way. It's also different. Uh, I studied because I might, of my connection to the American Institute of Architecture, which they've been very supportive of my work and have believed in me more than the educators when I first started. And in fact, at Cal Poly Pomona, I was brought there by the School of Environmental Studies, not by the School of Education. I was there for eight years before the School of Education said, Oh, <laughs> wow. maybe she should be here, you know, <laughs> so it, it's it, it, the, the, the designers have 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 really um, embraced my work big time. But there is a, the, another difference is there's something called the design process. And in the design process, which is um, I think it's a seven step process that is taught in design schools, um, you, you state the design problem but you do research before you before you build. So I've just twisted things around. I didn't do it knowingly. I just that I had done that before I read about the design process. So nice. um, it was an instinctive thing for me. And um, I think that for me, that's the main difference of turning it around uh, so that so that you're not starting with the research because, even when I when I first taught at at Cal Poly in the School of Environmental Design, uh, I noticed things that really bother, that bothered me. Uh, students were asked to replicate. You know, can you can you design a mask that looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright building? Well, how about having them design a mask that looks like them? <laughs> and then we'll worry about Frank Lloyd Wright. We can we can do that high nice high level thinking of comparing your mask to Frank Lloyd Wright's buildings you know so that that was the impetus of my work i like that that's awesome so cool i 
you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that we uh, uh, mentioned, because we, we already talked about them. I brought, you know, you talked about them. I brought up the fact that you have these pictures and uh, you have these color pictures that uh, um, show you what's going on and what you're talking about, which is, which is excellent. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, um, was there really a, was there a lot of thought that went into uh, putting all these examples in there? Because you made sure that I mean you have it from different different levels. You have it from different. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not like you you went to like one high school and you did this one day. It's from it's lots of different kids and uh, different levels, and and they're all working on stuff. And I was just wondering, uh, you know, where that idea came from to include this much. You know, to include that, especially to make the pictures color. I think that's it's well, makes it so easy all, to look at. I, it took me 10 years to write this book. <laughs> and, gotcha. <laughs> uh, that w- didn't mean I was writing it every day, <laughs> not at all. But, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about it. And I did most of my writing in about uh, uh, two years. Um, but uh, I was so, and I still am, I'm so amazed by the talent of teachers and, and their enthusiasm for this methodology and how they come to life. Uh, the, 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 these teachers I'm working with in San Gabriel, where the whole San Gabriel Unified School District, where the whole district is, is using the methodology, if, you, if I were to take you to the classroom, you'd, you'd want to take pictures of it and put them, plaster them all over the world. Um, these kids come up to you, walk into the classroom, and, and a little second grade kid comes up and says, hi, I'm the mayor. <laughs> Can I take you over here and show you my city? Nice. And the kid starts talking. Then you go to a high school class, and the kid comes, the, the, a bunch of high school kids come up to you and say, hey, you want to come over here? We've been building this city. It's really cool. You know, you want to see what we're doing and why we're doing it. We learned all this stuff about the periodic table. Uh, you you want to show the pictures of those cities because they don't look they don't look alike, and uh, and their their interdisciplinary learning is not the same in, in each city. I, that's so awesome. I and it just you just yeah. I found myself going back to the pictures as I read more and going back to the pictures because it kind of gave you a feel for um, what you're talking about what the what's going on, the teachers are doing with the kids and all that. And I thought that was, it was nice because there's a lot to look at. It's not, it's not like you just put one picture in, like a lot of books, they they put like one picture in and that's supposed to hold you over for the rest of uh, the, the length of it. And uh, just, I, I like the fact that you included all those. Um, you it's know, not a, ha- it's not a how to book, but uh, a lot of very smart teachers that I've met can take it and, and do a lot with it. I'm working right now on writing uh, a series of, of um, guide, guidebooks uh, to, to be companions to this, uh, to help teachers um, how to do a starter city, how you start out with it. So those will be forthcoming. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, in Section 2 um, of Cultivating Curiosity, it's titled Goodbye to Formulaic Teaching. Could you explain what the reader will take away from this section? I hope they will take away what I wanted. Actually, I wanted that to be the first part of the book because I care very deeply about teachers. And that section is about teachers who have gone away from formulaic teaching. And it's a whole chapter 
uh, of their voyage, of things that they've done that uh, have made them get in trouble with an administrator, <laughs> made them not get in trouble with an administrator. And I, I, I wanted to, to show the bravery and the courage that, that, that many, many teachers have because they believe so passionately in the students they're teaching. I, I think that we have a profession, Steve, that, that Stephen, that's made up of, of human beings. You don't go into teaching if you don't really... It doesn't mean you love children, but there's something about it, whether it's you love... Uh, imparting information that was my imp- the impetus for me I'm not I wasn't a lover of overall of kids I, I I love the idea that as an adult I could take information that I know and give it to others and that chapter is really about it's an honoring of those teachers who have done this and 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 some of their uh, there's one story that I tell about a teacher um, that I overheard while I was in the bathroom. I think it's a funny story uh, where I'm, I'm locked up in a stall and she's at, at this training and she's out, out, you know, washing her hands. And she's talking about how she hates these kinds of trainings. And, and, and I thought, Oh boy, I'm not leaving the stall. Uh, and and nice. I, I knew which one she was and she hated it because they teach you things and then you can never use them. And she, she just, she was on a, a soapbox, you know, going on and on and on. She became the main person in the, in the training and she loved the work and she went on and became a trainer in her, in her community. Um, I think the, that, that whole section of the book is, is my, my love letter to, to teachers to, to say, you know, go for it. Do your stuff because you matter. That's excellent. And, and just just a note, uh, uh, what's funny is, uh, you know, as we're get, getting closer to the end, you know, I started finding some chapters that were really, really cool. And they're, they're just short little reminders of what's going on. And, uh, um, and I, but I thought they, they just really grabbed your attention. And one of them um, was It Takes Courage which is chapter 10. And I really like this. This It's just a little short episode. It's titled, It Takes 10, uh, It Takes Courage. Share a little about the point of including this. I mean, why, why did you, you mention? I remember it. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Uh, let's see. It's about, um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Emily, uh, um, that was, that's a very, Telling story. Here is this this middle school English and history teacher who's having the kids eat out of her hand. She's in in the, in our master's program, and the darn administrators from the school district go in and visit her classroom, and and tell her that her classroom's too messy, and and the kids weren't learning anything, and you know and and she she came to class. In, in the master's program in tears and she said uh, I don't know what to do and, I, and I, I I didn't know what to do and I said well you just won't be able to, to be. this master's program by the way was I was very lucky I got the approval of the academic senate to have a master's degree program based on what teachers do in their classroom they wrote about what they did in their classroom not what, what they found out at the library very nice and um 
Uh, and I said, you'll, you'll just have to go to the library, Emily, in this case, because you, they won't let you do the stuff. And, and she, she started weeping. And she said, no, I'm not, I can't. I, my kids love it. I love it. And I, so I said, well, I'll come and talk to them. So I, I make an appointment. We go and talk to the administrators. And they, they were just, they didn't even know what they were seeing. They hadn't done their homework. They hadn't done their research. They thought, they thought she was teaching uh, history when she was in, in la- teaching language arts. They didn't even know which class of hers they were visiting. And then they, they, they told her to, to, you know, to, to stop. Well, they, because I, I was the big deal professor from the university coming in, they let her go on with it. But she moved uh, uh, very quickly. She, 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 she just decided the hell with this school district. And she, she went to another school district. And when the superintendent for the other district called me to get a, a, um, a reference from her, I said, look, um, uh, Emily is a thoroughbred <laughs> and, uh, and and she's got to be given the room to run around and and to do what she needs to do. She she can't. She's Very not nice. the ordinary friend of the the mill teacher. She has the courage to really do what she believes in. And if you want that kind of teaching in your school district, hire Emily, which he did. <laughs> Excellent. You know, one of the things that you uh, um, you, you talk about in. Uh, um, in this book is uh, um, something that I think is so cool because you've already you mentioned it once before about the possibility of tricking um, someone and and just a note I skipped over a chapter because I had at some point started cutting back on what I was talking about but the chapter I skipped over I gotta mention this too because you talk about uh, um, chapter 11 is all about when the administration gets it <laughs> which I thought that was awesome. And being a former administrator, I, <laughs> I thought that was, was a pretty powerful chapter. So, Well, uh, some of the teachers don't get the administrative support. And if they do, an administrator can do a lot. And you know that. I mean, you were uh, uh, awarded a, a, a great honor as an administrator. So I, I wish you'd been my principal at, at school because uh, obviously you had the ability to give the teachers their own voice. And that's a very big talent. Most administrators want the, 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 the teachers to have their voice. The, there was one administrator in Pasadena Unified School District, and she her, her design-based learning classrooms, they were wonderful. The kids were engaged, and she called me into a meeting. She said, do they have to build a city? It's so messy. <laughs> and I thought, you got to be kidding, lady, you know, <laughs> like they're getting good test scores. Leave me alone. <laughs> like, More do you want, right? That's, uh, yeah. That, that's awesome. The, but uh, that's, that is the importance, Stephen, of, of having an administrator um, who, who believes really in the kids and believes that the teachers can get someone and, 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 and takes the time to find out what the, what a methodology is and isn't shoving subject matter down everybody's throat. You can't get social and emotional stuff happening in a classroom. If you're shoving subject matter down everybody's throat, it ain't going to happen. It doesn't happen. That's, that's awesome. Awesome reminder. The, uh, I, uh, I like that. And, and just as a note, I, I don't understand why some administrators can having been one, you know, some of the things that people block and stand in the way of 
make no sense because because of what we're about. And, you know, we're about trying to help kids. To me, I, I've always said this, we're about trying to help kids achieve their dreams. And it, it requires to understand the kids. It requires to know how they think and breathe and and what they they focus on. And it requires so much stuff. And to have an administrator then take time to interfere with the teacher connecting with the kids and helping them build their dreams and all that sort of stuff is is hard to understand. I don't and then, Stephen, if, 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 you, if, if you really ask yourself, what is the job of the school? The job of the school is to prepare, prepare human beings to live in society. Right. And our society right now is undergoing uh, terrible stress with what's information, what's misinformation, what's real, what isn't. The political part of it, when you, when in my methodology where the kids are building a city and running a city, they're seeing what's real and uh, for the, at their grade level, they're seeing what's real and what isn't. And the political aspect of it, it, it is as important in my mind, it hand in hand with the social aspect because you know well as an administrator, you want those kids to come back and say, uh, I voted. <laughs> And I knew how to do it. Yes. We, we had a situation um, early on, and it just happened again recently, where um, uh, we got a call early on from the middle school asking us what we were doing with these kids because they had become all the leaders. They had become all the leaders in the middle school. They were on the council, student council. And were we teaching these kids strong arm techniques? So they were bribing other kids. And nice. And, and uh, the, we were knocked out by that. Uh, and this happens over and over again. That's what we want. That's what you're doing as an administrator. That's what you care most about. Uh, we're serving society. Gotcha. Gotcha. The, uh, um, it's just pretty wild when you, when you read your words, you know, and you think about it though, just think about the things that stop things from happening. And, and a lot of times it makes no sense why that power stopped <laughs> whatever was going on. So, but, uh, good stuff. I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that, uh, I brought out is I was going to chapter 12 and I took a little detour by chapter 11 there about administrators getting it. But chapter 12 is also one of my favorites and it's called try a little trickery. It works. Uh, what were you wanting the reader to get when she finished this chapter? Well, that's that backwards stuff where you, where you, you come in, you know, you come in the back door and you, you don't, um, the kid doesn't exactly, the learner <clears throat> doesn't know. Um, you're, you're, it's, you don't start out with, we're going to learn about the periodic table. You start out with, we're going to build a city, and then we're going to learn about what elements it's made out of. Nice. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's the, the, the trickery aspect of it. Yeah, I, there's a wonderful story in here of a third-grade teacher uh, who <clears throat> had they gave her the worst class. They, the, the administrator figured, well, if you want to do the, the design-based learning methodology, we'll show you. We'll give you the worst kids. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> and she had the meeting out of her hand. <laughs> no, she, and because uh, she, what they were building and they had power. Uh, having Being the mayor of the city uh, gives them some power in the classroom. And then if the teachers use that as a parallel transfer of learning exercise, where they 
they say, well, you're mayor of the city, you can be um, president of the class. So if, and, and if you're the, um, if you're the commissioner of utilities in the city, you can take care of the sink in the classroom, you know, nice. and the lights in the classroom. So I talk about that in uh, section three, that, that parallel and transfer uh, possibility. But if, the minute that happens the, where the, the kids have dual roles, that there's something in the city and there's something big in the classroom, it's, um, it, ch- it changes, um, changes. One of the teachers I want to, I really want to tell a story about is this, this man named Miguel Fernandez, because he used the city also for this trickery thing. And he, he started out by having them build a starter city. And the kids all wanted um, an, a lot of animals, a lot of, a lot of animals, wild animals, you know, zebras and all the stuff they'd read about. So they, they made a city in their own community and they put a river there and they put all the animals on, the other, on one side of the river and all the people living on the other side of the river. And he, this teacher, was so theatrical in his ways, in his trickery, and he got he had a piece of land on on their property, so he would build some stuff too. A second grade teacher, and they they um, he he would come in and say, "Oh my God, a bird, a, a mean bird from from where the animals were living, flew over and ate my my dog nice. and." They were up in arms, so then they they put they figured out something to put around you know some in, in, in they enclosed their animals in something. Then he had um, a situation where he wanted to teach about uh, immigration, and and he had um, he said he said oh he said I I I got a, a message from from somebody who uh, wants to come and uh, live in your city. This is a new person that wants to move into your city. And he was thinking about, you know, immigration, right? A new person wants to live in your city. Where, where should that person live? And they all said, he should live with you. They didn't want, they didn't want that person to live with them. You know, who's going to take it? And then uh, he, he, let, he let that go. And then, uh, then he, he told them, oh, it turned out that that person has magic powers. <laughs> and nice. they all wanted that person. Right, be, nice, very nice. So there, and, and that's not part of my methodology, Stephen. <laughs> that, that, that's the creativity of a classroom teacher. No, that's cool. I mean, it's, you know, it's a big deal to unleash that, uh, that creativity. And, you know, unfortunately, there are those who would prefer that all the ducks line up and be... Yeah in one row and yeah it's not really teaching teaching is messy and it's all the ducks not in a row <laughs> they're going there and there and there and there you know nice way to nice way to say that and i'm sure you were a messy leader <laughs> thanks i appreciate it I, I was it's like uh you know you have to you have to watch out for stuff like that you know you just have to i, I guess the best way of what i'm thinking about is like i used to tell my team that uh you know we have teachers in the building that are pretty much you know, they're special children and they're, and I'm talking about the adults. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and you know which ones I'm talking about. And, and we named them just in case to make sure. But I said, they're terrible at doing paperwork, but don't you get all over them over their paperwork, figure out how to help them do their paperwork because they're brilliant with the kids. Okay. And, and those, 
yeah, those are those aren't a dime a dozen. Those are the the ones that you you want to relish, you want to develop, you want to help them accomplish what they need to accomplish. And and uh, and you know, in those in those days, I mean, the there's a lot of paperwork that an individual teacher was required to submit and make sure it was turned in on time. And some of them were the worst ones ever. You're going. Okay, it's 9.15. We're supposed to have this report uh, so that we can take care of attendance, and we don't have it from, let's guess, it's usually the same four teachers, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, and... But I like what you did so much because the other teachers really trash those teachers. Yes. They, 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 and they make life very hard. I was one of those teachers. You were probably one of them, too. Yes, and, and we get bad press from the rest of the teachers because uh, they, you know, they think that we should be like them and we're not. And actually, they want to be like us. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> so I, I'm hoping that my methodology will unleash their inner self in some way. Oh, I think it will. I think it will. I think that's so cool. I, just, you got me thinking about all kinds of stuff there. That's that's neat stuff. I, You know, um, Doreen... We're coming up on closing, and before we do that, um, can you let everyone know where they could connect or, or learn more about uh, your book and such? First of all, the book is available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble at both places. And there's a website <clears throat> uh, at Center X. It's, it's long. It's uh, centerx.gseis.ucla.edu. <clears throat> slash design-based learning, it goes on and on. Or um, you can just um, designbasedlearning.org is a simple one. Gotcha. And it'll take you, uh, I think it's linked to the UCLA. Uh, We have a not-for-profit corporation um, that has its own outreach as well as CenterX, but we're we're linked together. Very cool. Um, you can find more there, more information about opportunities for <clears throat> K through 12 teacher trainings, and you can sign up for our newsletter, uh, which will let you know, you know, what's going on. Some of these stories, Dave, the uh, high school chemistry teacher, wrote an article about his classroom. It just got published in the Heckinger Report, which is a big deal, and he's so excited, and all the teachers are really excited, and your high school chemistry teachers would love to read um, Dave's report, and that'll be on our our website soon. It just got published last week. Um, I guess that's it, no? Uh, but the other question I'd like to ask you is, uh, in your capacity, I hope that um, uh, it, it, we could talk about some ways that we could connect some of the districts that you work with and bring this to some of, some of your... Um, your people. We, we go all over the world. We have programs in Japan. We had a program in Israel. We've been, we've been, um, uh, the Chinese just bought 6,000 copies of, of the book. Um, so it, we'd love to come to Georgia. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Love to have you here. These, you know, it's, and it just simply, it's sharing it. Cause that's what, once, once we produce this and I'll be sharing it and I've already shared the, you're um, getting people to take a look at your book and everything. And uh, I think that's so a big part. If anybody's interested, we would, we could do online trainings. We could do in-person trainings. We we're mobile. We have a, a, a cadre of trainers and awesome. 
we're available to do whatever we can to get the word out. We want kids to be happy and well-adjusted and stop this nonsense that's going on in our education system. Oh, so much, so much so, and uh, so powerful, and it'd be nice to be able to um, bring that to an end. And I, and I will continue to share, and I will uh, make sure that people listen to it and see what we can do about uh, getting uh, some of your trainers here, because that would be cool. I hope you'll stay in touch with me, Steve. I'm, I, I so admire you. And well, thank I you. I will say it. Thank you so much. Figure, figure out a way to work together. I'd love that. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, thank you, Doreen. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And uh, you got, uh, I love your, your work and all this stuff. And so that'd be cool. We'll stay in touch. So, uh, um, and, and if, if I could, before we close, I got two last questions I'd love to ask you. And one of them, they don't have anything to do with your book or the research or what you do. The first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? How do you do it? Uh, how, do, how do you do it? It's, what I did was, you know, it's funny is I originally put that question in there because I was running into so many teachers who were just frazzled because they got so much and I had, you know, and, they, and they'd ask you, how do you, how do you do it? How do you, how do you figure out how to do something? And to me, what, what works for me is I have to take the big picture and I have to narrow it down to one step at a time. And I have to do that. And I had to stop looking at everything I got to do. And I just look at how can I chunk it up and uh, handle those chunks one step at a time. And that's what I do. I have a sign on my computer that says, keep the main thing, the main thing. Nice. <laughs> and that's very hard to do. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, because it, you get pulled off to side to the side, uh, and I, I can give you lots of examples. I mean, you get angry at, at somebody who didn't do something the way you wanted it to be done, and you spend all your energy on, on that instead of thinking about what's the main thing here? What is the main thing is the work? How can we get this somebody to do the main work? And if we can't, how do we get rid of this somebody so we find somebody to, to do the main work? The main thing is the main thing, and let's not start to I, I have to really um, keep my keep that at the forefront of my thinking because uh, you and as an administrator you know you get pulled in in so many ways the union the 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 parents the you know everybody and in our work at UCLA there's there's just a lot of politics um, and I, I thought Cal Poly was was rough uh, UCLA is no different, and uh, I, I we're we're and I think those politics um, make me angry uh, because they impede progress. They, it, it's almost as if they're roadblocks for for our future, and I have to force myself to forget the roadblocks and and to keep going. And what keeps me going is the stories the teachers tell. Uh, when I'm with the teachers, I. I come to life and I think, oh yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's, it. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I, um, last question goes like this, Doreen. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? A geography teacher at UCLA really um, piqued my interest. I was a geography major for, I was a music major, but then I was a geography ma minor. And, um, uh, um, he, so geography, really good geography professors 
aren't teaching you to locate the mountains and the valleys and all that stuff. They're, they're teaching you the relationship between the physical terrain and culture and how the, the physicality of the, the actual physical locations change the, the values and the beliefs of human beings that live in, in, in certain places and that the rituals get developed very often as a result of location. And he gave us a final exam problem that we had to write to. We had to write about Thanksgiving in a hundred years in the future. And I think thinking back on Dr. Spencer, I would say to him, you drove me crazy. I spent a, a hours and hours in the library reading all about the whole history of Thanksgiving. I learned more about Thanksgiving than I ever cared to learn about. Excellent. And what in the end you gave me the privilege of inventing and that's backwards. You get, he gave me the privilege of inventing what my idea would be of Thanksgiving instead of telling me to go and write about Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving relates to the landform. He didn't do that. He, he, he asked me to put it in, in the future like I do with the city, cities of the future. You put it in the future, and then, oh, my God, you have to think about the past. You have to think about the present. So thank you, Dr. Spencer. <laughs> that is excellent. I love it. Thank you for sharing. And, uh, and Doreen, thank you so much for talking with me today. Your, your book, Cultivating Curiosity, Teaching and Learning Reimagined, is amazing. It's not, a, it's, it's not about arts and crafts, and it definitely takes courage, but what an amazing focus that those that learn from you will have. Um, all educators should read Cultivating Curiosity, especially administrators. It has been great learning from you, and I wish you all the best in what you do. You too, Steve. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.